Our reading this evening is from the Gospel of Mark, the second chapter, and is found on page 813 of your Pew Bible. When Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that were so that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. And Jesus was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? At once, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your, son, your sins are forgiven, or to say, stand up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and the whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. And as he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as Jesus sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And when the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to Jesus' disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? And Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. But no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and the worse the tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. 
Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. So we've entered the world of Mark. I think that happened last week. We are currently in Mark. We will stay in Mark for the rest of the program year. Mark was the first of the Gospels to be written and is used as the foundation for Matthew and Luke. Mark's Gospel is characterized by his very short stories and the quick movement that happens from scene to scene. Lots of things happen immediately in Mark. And I once heard someone describe Mark as the USA Today of Gospels, which I know dates me. I don't even know if that's still in publication. But it's short and quick. One thing that Matthew and Luke add to their Gospels that Mark does not is a birth narrative. Like, where did this Jesus, Son of God, come from? But for Mark, the beginning of the good news of Jesus starts with John the Baptist in the wilderness and Jesus' baptism where we hear that he is God's beloved son. From the very first moment, we are given the picture of Jesus as the son of God. And Mark moves us quickly through these opening stories that Matthew and Luke and even John spend more time with, but then starts to slow down a little bit so that we can hear about his calling of the disciples and the healing that he does in that first chapter of Mark. By the time we get to chapter 2, word has gotten out across the land that Jesus is doing and saying things that are new and exciting and are getting lots of attention. Luke tells us that those who gather in Capernaum at Jesus' house weren't just from that particular city, but we're from the Galilee area, Judah and Jerusalem. And that it wasn't just sinners that were there. It was Pharisees and teachers of the law. Everybody was there and they were all curious about this man from Nazareth. And this, in Mark's gospel, is where things start to take a turn. Scholars call chapters 2 and 3 the controversy at Capernaum. Why? Because story after story that Mark tells begins to redefine what it means to be Messiah and the Son of God. And more and more, the people in power that is in this part of Mark, religious power, are starting to ask questions about Jesus' practices. And more and more, Jesus is clearly defining what it is about. He's laying the foundation for the building up of the kingdom. And it does not look like what folks thought it would look like. In our reading for today, we see the first three of these controversial stories, or stories of controversy. We see the story of the paralytic, we see the call of Levi, and we see questions about fasting. So let's take a look at these stories and see why Jesus starts to get himself into trouble with those whose job it is to make sure that people follow God's law as they interpret it. I love the story of the paralytic. It's found in all three of the synoptic gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
You may be familiar with it. There's a man who cannot walk, and four of his friends have heard that Jesus, who rumor has it has been healing all sorts of people, is in town. So his friends carry him to Jesus' house on his pallet, but they can't get in because the door is blocked because there's so many people. And so they decide that it's a really good idea to climb up onto the roof with their friend who cannot walk. So already I'm intrigued. I'm like, who are these people and why are they climbing on a roof? Well, to make a hole in it, duh. This roof was most likely made out of some sort of clay material. And so they make a hole into the roof and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. What? Who does that? Well, I'll tell you who does that. People with faith in this Jesus person. So I love this story just for that part. Just for the fact that these people tear a hole in a roof and lower their friend down. But I especially love what happens next. Jesus looks at this man who cannot walk and declares his sins forgiven, which we see in all of the Gospels as a first sign of healing. But the man's sins are forgiven because of the faith of his friends. Not because of what he did or did not do, but because his friends believed. I find this so powerful, especially as we begin to consider that we are a community of faith. We are individuals who walk together with each other in and out of all sorts of life situations. And there are times when we as individuals can no longer imagine having what we need to believe. And in those times, it's the ones who surround us that carry us and believe for us, who take us to Jesus, which of course then puts a whole new spin on the footprints in the sand poem. There is this amazing moment of grace and forgiveness and friendship in this story. But there are those who are around Jesus who are shocked for a whole other reason. Jesus has just blasphemed because he has dared to do a thing that is only for God to do. And that is declaring forgiveness. And I imagine that those that were around, especially those who knew the law, that their eyes got really big and their mouths perhaps dropped a little bit and their brains started spinning as they tried to make sense of what Jesus has just done because Jesus can feel this change that happens in the room. But remember, Jesus is redefining things. Jesus, the Son of God, is redefining what it means to be the people of God. And one of the easiest things to do ever for God or for people is to declare forgiveness. Because it's just words, right? Except that declaration of forgiveness, supposedly willy-nilly by someone who isn't God, shifts power around. What's to hold that person in place? 
if they're forgiven, if they don't have to do the ritualistic things that the law says they have to do. And so as power shifts around, those who are already in power and are keen on keeping it don't like what they're seeing. But Jesus isn't having any of it. Jesus is like, you think that's what I shouldn't be doing? Really? Well, watch this. Get up and walk. And the man did. And everybody is amazed and glorifying God because they've never seen it before. Although we know Jesus has been healing, but maybe it's just that crowd that had never seen it. But I have to believe that there were those who were still shocked that Jesus dared to forgive sins that were still trying to make sense of what had just happened. The second story is the calling of Levi, a tax collector. No one was more disdained than a tax collector in ancient times because they were Jews who extorted money from other Jews for the Romans. There weren't the regulations on what to collect like there are now. The tax collectors didn't get a salary. They made their money by taking more than what was required by the Romans and then keeping the difference. This did not win Levi any friends and also means that those he did hang out with were not those who folks thought were upstanding citizens. But Jesus looks at Levi as he's walking along and says, follow me. And Levi does, because why wouldn't he? Here is this very popular rabbi who's redefining what it means to be the community of God. And this rabbi looks at you, this disdainful tax collector, and says, come on, follow me. That is an incredible honor. As Jesus is eating then with Levi and his friends, there are Pharisees around who see it happening, and they are up in arms. Why would you be eating with these people? And Jesus replies, why wouldn't I? These are the people who I have come to call, not you. Jesus clearly declares that the kingdom of God is not full of perfect, spiritually law-abiding people. Instead, it is full of human beings who need the word of God in their lives, who need to hear a word of grace and love and healing so that they can understand their worth. I was reminded of an analogy that I had read in an Anne Lamott book um, this morning in the C.S. Lewis Screwtape Letters class that happens with Coffee with Pastor Karen at 6.30 a.m. You're all welcome. And Anne asks, what sound does one, a one-handed clap make? Anybody? Nothing, right? Like, you have to hit something. You have to hit another hand or, you know, your thigh or whatever. And then she asks, what sound does rain make? Well, it makes nothing until it hits something, until an umbrella or a sidewalk or a building. And then she asks, what sound does grace make? Well, it doesn't make a sound until it hits something, 
a broken life, a broken relationship, a deeply embedded fear or insecurity. That's what Jesus is trying to get across here in this moment. That the kingdom is full of brokenness. And that is where the grace of God can make a difference. It isn't in the attempt to become the perfect follower so that you can receive God's blessings or get to heaven, but it's receiving the grace of God in the midst of your brokenness and knowing that it's yours. The final story is a question about fasting, and Jesus responds with a wedding metaphor. Why would they fast when I'm still here? There's time for that later. Instead, they're to soak in the grace and love and truth and healing of his words and actions. And then he reminds us that he is doing something new. And what he is doing isn't going to fit into the old models. Instead, it's something new. And he welcomes curiosity and hope to join the conversation as a foundation is laid for a kingdom that welcomes all for a group of people who are willing to do the work to continue to build up the beloved community and to serve their neighbors with joy and not judgment. There is a wideness in this new thing that Jesus is doing, a wideness that invites all of us into a new kind of relationship with God that is not like our other relationships, a relationship that welcomes our whole selves in with love and grace. And then it calls us to live out a life open to the new things that God is up to. So what is that for you? This cusp of a new year, often we're thinking about these things. What words of grace and mercy do you need to hear? What new things is God up to in the world and in your life that you are being invited into? What new things is God up to here in our church? And what words of grace and mercy do we as a community need to hear? Be warned, though, that asking these questions may stir up some controversy as the Holy Spirit opens us up to Jesus' redefining life and death. And be brave, for there is grace abounding for all, and we walk together along the way. Amen.